A, nobody talks about it. So this, this is a big unknown. You and I are talking about it. Well, mm-hmm. the network level don't talk about it. So the brokers don't understand this, how this works. And then the other part is, is that I don't think that the network actually has any influence other than the fact that we can say, we're going to tell our brokers not to use you because you're a bad partner, which is they're not giving us kickbacks. So they're a bad partner. And I'm like, which absolutely happens. Yes. yes. And I think lenders hate paying it, but they've got their head in the noose and they have to pay it. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Welcome to the I Love Mortgage Brokering podcast. Today is actually part two of an interview I did with Ron Butler on the Angry Mortgage Broker podcast. You can go check him out on YouTube. It's freaking hilarious. And this one is probably going to be the most controversial segment that I do with Ron. I talk about why some agents aren't a good fit with what we're doing at Bricks. I talk about what I believe is the lack of transparency in the industry and how we think we need to do better. And I see some people doing that. To be fair, there's a ton of great owners out there, a ton of great brokers. And I think though that the industry as a whole needs to up its game when it comes to transparency. Also, before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. Very easy for borrowers to use and brokers. Got some cool features. One of the things that they have that I really like is connected with Lender Spotlight, which has all the rates and guidelines and they update it all the time. So when you put that file in, it's actually reminding you, you go to hit submit, it reminds you of some of the guidelines to make sure that you're not sending off a file that's like, oh shoot, that's not gonna work at all. Or maybe it could still work, but you gotta pick up the phone and call your, you know, your BDM or your underwriter to make sure. The whole idea is to just save you time wasted sending files off that shouldn't be and just understanding the lender guidelines and trying to keep track of that stuff now has gotten so complex so check out that because lender spotlight is embedded it's awesome check them out at lendas.com slash finmo and check out this part two of my conversation with ron okay another question that's been rolling around in my head you sometimes bring on experienced, higher volume people, and yep. sometimes they're a great fit, and sometimes they're not a fit. Yep. And sometimes you find out they're not a fit really fast. So could just illustrate to me how you find out somebody's not a fit when you bring on experienced people. So, and I think this is because bringing on experienced people is only new. So we've only started it in the last like seven months or something. Okay, right? but so you've like, had some incidents. We've had some incidents. And so we've had some people that are great fit and some people aren't. And I would say the thing that I look at as an example, we had some people that did very big volume and I realized pretty quickly we're not matched. And it was more to do with the fact that it was not an unethical thing. Unethical, that would be like really fast. Like, no, yeah, yeah, it's, it's instant. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not an unethical yeah. thing. It was more of a, I'm really cognizant of the fact that the kind of brokerage that we want to build, it needs to have, we need to focus on collaboration. I think that one plus one is three. I think that the training company taught me, because as a coach, I used to coach on a couple of things and I realized if I get other coaches, like we can make this way better because all the problems that people, mortgage brokers face, somebody solved them. You solved a whole bunch of problems. Someone else is, and it's like, yeah, yeah. who's got the answer to my test that I'm currently trying to beat? And so the focus for me with the brokerage is we got to really make collaboration a key thing. And so if I felt the, in particular, had some folks, I just realized that the things that they were going to want to do was going to significantly impair collaboration. And I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I was talking to a really good friend of mine who's known me for a long time. And I, I was explaining, he's like, dude, this is the honeymoon phase. Like, this is going to get worse. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And so I sat down with these guys and, you know, 150 million producers. And I'm like, we're not a fit, man. And I know they were shocked. They were like, nobody tells us to go somewhere else. And it wasn't, again, nothing to do with like, it was just the collaboration piece for me is really important. I really think 
that if you can collaborate, like you can't out iterate a group. If I give my best ideas to a group of people and then they go run experiments and then all of a sudden this one does really well, we're like, well, if they don't collaborate and share that back, if they do, everybody gets the benefit of it. If we start to silo things, that was my thinking was like, and we're still figuring, you know, learning this stuff and trying to identify who's a good fit, who's not a good fit. And we'll make mistakes for sure. And I'll own them. If it was on me and I made that was my mistake, I'll own it and try to learn from it. And I think of business and I, I read this somewhere. It was like entrepreneurs who think of business like an experiment and they're not married to an outcome earn 40 times more money than somebody who has an idea. And it's like, this is my idea. And so it's like, I think of everything as an experiment. I have a hypothesis. I'm going to run it. And if it's, it's either going to work cool or it's not. And I'm like, all right, what didn't work and how do we learn? And I'm okay with like running experiments as long as you don't risk your company to run experiments. Like if you don't run the whole company into the ground while you're trying to run an experiment. And now that the company's bigger, I have to be more careful about experiments. They got to be done small isolation. Let's try this as a little test. If it works, cool. If it doesn't, we haven't screwed up what we've already got. So that's something I've been. Because that's, that's actually something I've always said about you and other mortgage, you know, even lender bosses or other mortgage brokerage owners said, oh, this Scott, what's he doing now? I said, you know what? He's a trier and we need goddamn triers in any business. Right. Need people who want to try something new, want to see what's possible. It might never work at all. Okay. Well, I have plenty of dumpster fires, yeah. plenty of them. Yeah. I literally can roast marshmallows over this thing because it was a terrible idea, lost the money. I feel like each of those has got me a little bit better at, you know, at least the initial experiment. And then I don't tend to lose as much on the experiments now. The other piece is that with the brokerage, like going forward, anything that I create or invent will be owned by the brokerage for the benefit of the brokers. And so, you know, I still get to do my thing. I get to do it at a bigger scale now. So instead of just doing, you know, whatever I was doing and I had coaching or I was a mortgage broker, now I'm able to do things at scale that I could never do. And I'm like, this is- All right, so here's, here's a good one then. What is the worst thing you've discovered about running a brokerage that you just hate the most? Like, what do you hate doing this? Because I know what stuff that I learned to hate that I found out by owning a brokerage that I, I hate. I wouldn't say that I, okay, hate is a strong word. I would say the things that- I love to take, hate though. This uh, yeah, is angry mortgage angry for okay, So I would say things that <sighs> to take away my energy are meetings. I was surprised at the number of, as your team scales, the number of more meetings I have to have. And it really like, because I'm like, meetings, if, if I don't need to be here, I don't want to be here. I'm like, oh, let's move. I, I got stuff to do. And it was only when I had this mindset shift of like meetings are where multiplication happens. If I can get together with my people and get them going, this is how I multiply my effort. And so prior to that, I really did not like meetings were like, just, uh, I hated them. I would be the worst person in the meeting, even though I was supposed to be leading it. I did not want to be there. I've been learning to be like, hey, this is where multiplication happens, but I still would rather have somebody else run them. And I have a plan in place for that. There's some you know things that we're working on right now that can free me up to spend more time on marketing, spend more time on making things. I like to make things for our brokers. And so if I can do those two things, then I'm in my happy place and I can have the most impact for the brokerage. So I'd say right now that would be my big challenge is. Okay, but the guy at the top, there's always things that just go fucking wrong, like wrong. Like, you know, it might not have happened yet, but I'm guessing, I'm going to guess you've had some like major compliance hiccup that looks like it might be bad doings and stuff. So we've had had a a couple complaints. Yeah, I remember when we got up to like just under 500 files and I was like, wow, 500 files and we haven't even had a complaint yet. That's what I thought. I was like 465. That's I literally thought the next day I'm like, I get an email like, damn it, I shouldn't have said anything. Ha! And it was it was it ended up being nothing. But like because people can, you know, it was a complaint done to the regulator what of saying, yeah. hey, it was one of the brokers. And so those parts, yes, those things just happen. But I also think like now my thinking is is that I only want to solve hard problems. Hard problems are the ones that are the most profitable. Like training rookies at scale is a hard problem. We're doing a, it I, is the biggest problem. And so 
The only things that I'm interested in are because you can make more money solving painful, hard problems than you can easy or aspirational problems of like, you know, that's a new insight that I've had in the last, even the last 18 months. I'm like, let's just go for the hard stuff because nobody wants to do it. And if we can do it well, it's a competitive advantage because versus solving easy problems, which everybody wants to do. But I'm like, that's not interesting to me. I like the hard stuff. We share something that we're both completely independent brokerages. Mm -hmm. Like Butler Mortgage has no affiliation with any of the big mortgage groups out there. Your organization has no affiliation. For some reason, I thought you were under a brand, but I guess I was mistaken. Oh, when we started like, you know, 12, 15 years ago, Ron Butler's always been in the mortgage business. Sons have been in the mortgage business equally long time, Dave and Will, and completely on our own. Uh, When we first started the brokerage, I guess like 13 years ago. We're both wired the same. Yeah, 13 years ago. So yeah, we were, I think we were with Verico for the first three or four years. Yeah, We were with Verico and then not. We haven't Mm -hmm. been with anybody forever. So what's the reason behind that for you? I know what it was for me, but what's the reason behind it for you? It was because we knew that once we decided to go down the path of like recruiting brokers, and I didn't want to be part of a network that was like, hey, you got to slow down. I'm getting calls from other owners. They're not happy. And so that was one thought was the thing. Second is that, we have very big ambitions for what we're trying to do. So the fact that at some point we probably were going to become independent and to do it later is more painful than sooner. So when you have a hundred mortgage brokers and you got to change your biologics codes and you got to change all that stuff, it's painful at 500 or a thousand, it's way worse. And so I'm like, this is not going to get better. Like it's not going to be easier. And then the other thing is some lenders required us, TD, for example, required us to, we did in that first 12 months, we did 64 million with TD. We were under another brand and they said, you start over. You don't get full volume bonus. Right. And so I was like, well, we got to do that anyway. So let's just freaking do it. Like, let's just pull the bandaid off now. It would have made financially more sense for me to stay under a brand short term. But then eventually, I think what would happen is if we got too big and then we did leave. There'd be a lot of hard feelings. Being like, you built your brand on the back of our brand and all the like just the nonsense of that. And I was like, I don't want that hassle. I'm just like, let's just. And I personally don't think that most of them would actually they're not going to provide a ton of value other than you know, aggregation of volume, potentially, that would be one of the benefits they'd have. But there wasn't a lot of other benefits that I saw from the different brands that were out there. So that's why we decided to go independent. And by the way, we blew way past our threshold. So and it's all attractive. So we're we're fine now. But but there was a period. And I tell people that if they join us, I'm like, at the time, we're not at the top tier with TD, but we did, you know, 25 million with TD last month. And so we're no problem now in terms of, you know, hitting status and stuff with them. But Almost that new lender or that lender that you'd like to work with that just says, nah, I mean, you know. So, so far, the fortunate part is that some of the folks that have joined us early on are fairly well good producers and they've opened doors for us on lenders that were like, hey, okay. Okay. you know, like ATB, for example. I'm like, how the heck are we going to get them? Oh, I used to work there. Guy does big volume, calls them up. Here you go. You know, so that's a lender in Alberta, if you're not familiar, but that has been really helpful. So it's basically the people have the relationships, the great agents have relationships. And so some of those have really opened some doors for us in terms of getting access to some of these folks, right? For for the benefit of other agents. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that is one advantage being a recruiting brokerage. If you find somebody who's doing, you know, 50, 60 million with a credit union, I mean, they're not going to cut that off. They like him. He likes you. They know each other. It's like, it's like, yeah. So that was how we solved it. Even though I didn't realize that was how we're going to solve it. It just sort of happened organically. And that's what I've been seeing. Do you find lender relations is a challenge sometimes or not really? You just don't pay attention to it. I need to pay more attention to it. Okay. I feel like if I'm honest, it's a weakness of mine because I love our lender partners. I think we're like, I know without lenders, we don't have a business. Like we, Absolutely and not. So I know that the importance of it, but again, my mildly autistic ways, I get so focused on a task. And so again, I have a somebody coming on board that's going to, you know, well-known, that's going to help me with this as well. So that there's two of us instead of just everything being on me, trying to manage those relationships. But like want to have excellent relationships with our lender partners. But I actually have something I can talk about, which could be controversial for the, so one of the things that most mortgage brokers are unaware of is that there are, 
I call them network fees or kickbacks to the networks at the you know network level. So if a brokerage, I'm not going to name any names, but a large brokerage does certain amount of volume with you know however many billion with something like Home Trust, that lender is going to pay the network the top level. You know I've heard that one network gets 14 basis points, for instance, from Home Trust mortgages. The network level. Now the network level, they have no control over the agent that's three or four levels down. Oh, I, I got to interject for a moment because I'm like dear friends with everybody at Home Trust. So yeah. I'm not a thousand percent sure there's 14 beeps. At yeah. The so whether it's six to 10, let's call it like anywhere between Whatever. two to 10. I've yep. heard that number. It yep. may not be correct, but say two oh, to two, 10. Two to 10 exists. Yeah, yeah. Two to 10 or, exists. Or two to six exists. I mean, there is a number that goes to the very top of the house yeah. in the brokerage business. Yeah, there's extra money that goes to those companies. And here's the thing. I don't think... A, nobody talks about it. So this, this is a big non- You and I are talking about it. Well, mm-hmm. the network level, they don't talk about it. So the brokers don't understand this how this works. And then the other part is, is that I don't think that the network actually has any influence other than the fact that we can say, we're going to tell our brokers not to use you because you're a bad partner, which is they're not giving us kickbacks. So they're a bad partner. And I'm like- Which absolutely happens. Yes. yes. And I think lenders hate paying it, but they've got their head in the noose and they have to pay it. I think that the lenders are like, hey, wouldn't it be better to actually have better efficiency programs or something for the person who's actually doing the deals and deciding home trust over equitable or whatever that relationship is instead of at the top level? That's a something that I see in our industry. And then, of course, so there's that. There's the kickbacks, the network fee. Then there's also the platform fee. So the reason that we don't pay for most of these platforms is because there's another, you know, two to five, used to sure. be more, two to yeah. five basis points. Yeah. Yeah. Submission platform has to make money. Sure, absolutely. There's a lot of money into building that stuff. And so there's money that's there. That's fine because as a broker, you're either the product or you pay for the product. And then, of course, there's volume bonuses that don't always get, you know, quarterly bonuses. For instance, I, ta- I did a post recently about the quarterly bonus that Scotia pays. And I shared, hey, look, this is what we're paying this out. And I heard there's some owners who were not happy with that because. It oh, was- no, they would be severely pissed off at yes. you about that. And yes. I, I was like, and I don't have, here's the thing. I have no problem with them making money. I have no problem with them if just tell them, say, hey, here's how we make our money. You make your money this way and I make my money this way. And so if you're going to be upfront about it, cool. But if you're going to hide it, this is the problem in our industry. There's a lot of games, money moves back and forth and nobody talks about it. And that's the part that I feel is, you know, needs to change. Where it's 2023. Okay. So, anyway, well, there's a lot of stuff. I there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to unpack there. But let's quickly say for EQ and Home Trust and Scotia and all these people who I've known for all these many, many years, this stuff has always existed and it has existed historically. Like I can tell you this, the people who operate all those businesses, the people at the very top of those lenders, they arrived to an existing situation that came about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, or many ever many years ago. And yes, if you asked the super brokerages, if you asked the big networks, why are you getting this money? You know, why aren't you distributing it to your group? You know, at the end of the day, they would say, and possibly quite correctly, well, who the hell is going to negotiate the cheap E&O insurance? Who the hell is going to negotiate this, negotiate that? Make sure, hey, you know, some of your brokers, some company wanted to cut off and we got that dealt with. We fixed that. Okay. So, you know, there's just like, there is a case to be made. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you that in a perfect world, there'd be transparency. Right. That everybody would understand everything perfectly. But as a guy who runs brokerage for a long time, well, I don't actually run it like, Sharon runs it and a couple other people run it. I'm just an interested You're the marketer. I, I'm an interested bystander. Yeah. Okay. I don't even own any shares. So at the end of the day, there is certain advantages that the networks can bring. There is certain things that they can do. There are certain things that, like you just said very truthfully, there's investments in technology that are very, very hard to do. And some people, very expensive. 
very, very expensive. expensive, really expensive, really expensive. And that they have done those things. And they've also created ease of use. You know, yeah. I've known Gary Morris forever, you know, for his, basically as long as he's been in the game. And Gary takes a lot of flack. Okay. He takes a lot of flack because he's a big personality and, you know, he's the top of the food chain. Okay, it's as simple as that. But I would say this about him, that he's provided systems and help to brokers and brokerages. We just discount it. Like every people who join Dominion Lending, we're not going to argue the ins and the outs of it, but like, boom, they've got themselves a, a website. Here, right. here, just take it. Okay, it's yours. There's an application system. Here's this, here's that. Oh, and there is actually is advertising. There is for reals advertising right. for Dominion Lending. It exists. Okay. We can argue back and forth about the effectiveness of it. Here's, it's real. Okay. We can even argue whether if the advertising is actually aimed at bringing in leads or whether it's aimed at keeping agents happy. Okay, right. we can argue, argue all those points, but whatever it is, it's all true. Yeah. It really exists. Money's being spent. Conveniences are there. But I take nothing away from those situations because it's different strokes. I, I'm, different I, strokes I'm saying, different I'm folks. Say, I okay. say the same thing. So I'm not saying that these you're things. Thinking, you're I'm saying the transparency. transparency. Is transparency. I'm not saying that brokerages shouldn't make money. I think they have to or they have to keep their lights on. We have to make money. Yeah, but I think that where it falls down is, is the lack of transparency. And people, we hear murmurings of it, but nobody is, people, not, no, I shouldn't say nobody. There seems to be a lack of transparency that is the challenge. I think that, like, again, back to Gary and those guys, I think that he's done more positive for the industry when he came in and shook things up. And, 100%. And he shook up the old guard and they were yep. like, who are these guys that came yep. in? Who do they think they are? And so hat tip to them, kudos to them. I think that in 2023, where we're at today, I think that the next stage is transparency. We need to move to what I call radical transparency, where you're like, we're just going to be on the table with everything and then let people decide who's a fit culturally, who's a fit, whatever. That's where I push back against it. But listen, radical, yeah. radical transparency could be its day. You know, it could be its day. Absolutely. But well, we live in a time where we don't trust anyone anymore because you've, <laughs> you like, just think about this. It's so easy to do deep fakes. It's and it's like, so I honestly, this is what I think. So our brand promises radical transparency because I believe that we live in a time where we can't trust people, where it's easy to fake things. And I think that transparency will be a superpower because so few people believe it or see it. And so I think that for me, I'm like, that's what we will hang our hat on is like being like, that's how we have to run our business. And so other people will adjust or won't, I don't care. Like I'm not paying attention to what anybody else is doing. Yeah. I, ultimately you have to observe your competitor because yeah. you're basically an idiot if you don't observe your competitor. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Okay. You observe your competitor, but you are not designed to just react to the competitor. That doesn't make sense. No. You have to be on your own path, exclusively on your own path and observe what they're doing. Because if you don't, that's not smart, no. but you have to stay on your own path. Mm -hmm. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode. And if you are listening to this and you're like, huh, I didn't realize, you know, one of the things that I talk about all the time is the importance of transparency. And we live in a time where I feel like transparency should be normal. And especially since trust is actually going down with all of the deep fakes and the way people can, you know, copy and make things look like they're real, that I think that transparency and trust will be literally a brand superpower. And we are going to commit to doing that with our brokerage, as well as just being transparent with our agents and our people. If you're interested in it more, go to whybricks.com, check that out. And uh, thanks again for listening to the show. And I will see you on the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.